1: Well, hey there, friend. Nice knife for a scary story. So, you got one for me? I'm fresh out. Hmm, maybe we'll just play some video games or something. I'm kidding, Chester. Don't you worry. We've got plenty of work to do. Hey, go jump in the lake, will you? Good boy. Come on in, friend. I'm sure we can dig something up. Mmm. That's better. So tonight we're promoting a brand new book called Hell's Gulf by author Nick Carlson who's been kind enough to give us a story for tonight's show. Make sure to stay tuned afterward and we'll tell you about the book and how you can get a chance to win a free copy. <coughs> and in case you don't win... We'll give you his social media info so you can harass him. Maybe he'll cough up another one. So smoke him if you got him and drink those glasses to the bottom. Cause old Drew Blood has a tale to tell. Hey, you're listening to the standard edition of this program. To get instant access to ad-free versions of all our episodes and hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, Visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu. Sign up today. It's a great way to show your support, and you'll get a whole lot for it.
2: And authors, send your scary stories to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If you're selected, you'll get that full treatment. Shit.
1: And we're off. In tonight's tale, we join Ginevra, a widowed school teacher who loves her little dog. Sounds innocent enough, right? Well, hold on to your crucifix. Without further delay, i give you from author Nick Carlson. The devil's in the details. There's nothing down there but bodies, you scummy bitch. That and the trail of blood you tracked this way. Maybe the dog ate her homework, too. You're done, Ginevra! They hauled her up, still screaming her head off, and dragged her to the waiting police car. They let their sirens off, courtesy for those in the town of Hell's Gulf still sleeping. But Ginevra's screams carried through the night regardless, all the way down to the station. In the shadows, watching the chaos unfurl, was a black greyhound. As the convoy of police and bystanders eventually disbanded and left the scene, he slunk away into the depths of the woods. This
3: world has no more left for you, my love, he promised. I think... I'll be seeing you again soon.
1: (laughs) The approaching summer break was a source of much excitement for the school children, but unbeknownst to them, none cherished it more than their teacher, Ginevra Sinclair, known to them as Miss Jenny. Soon would be gone the days of being cooped up in a stuffy classroom, sweating in a tweed dress under the impending heat. The afternoons became the worst as late spring dragged on, and by the end of Friday English she was fidgeting almost as much as her pupils. The clock still read five minutes to go. She decided to show mercy.
2: Boys and girls, your attention please.
1: The class set down their pencils and stared expectantly at her.
2: Remember, while you can't take those study guides you're working on into your exams next week, you'll have all weekend and before class to look them over. I'm glad to see you have all made progress. When's the English final?
1: Jacob asked, raising his hand.
2: Thursday, 10 a.m.
1: She wrapped the blackboard dated May 24th, 1946 with her pointer.
2: As it says on the schedule right here. You doing anything fun this summer?
1: Said Jessica.
2: Might see my family up in North Carolina, but otherwise I'll be planning for next semester's lessons. Next semester?
1: Patrick popped up.
2: You're already thinking about next semester?
1: The class groaned and laughed in
2: response. Enjoy your summers while you can, Miss Jenny said with a grin. When you grow up, you'll find there's really no difference. I ain't coming back next semester,
1: John announced from the back of the room.
2: I'll be hoeing potatoes for the rest of my life. Oh, well, good for you then,
1: Miss Jenny commented.
2: The world needs potato farmers anyway. Will our exams be hard?
1: Susan asked softly from the front.
2: I'm afraid I can't speak for them,
1: Miss Jenny answered, shaking her head.
2: But to a bright bunch like you, as long as you know your study guides, I think they will be cakewalks.
1: She offered them a smile, but the class merely gaped at her, quiet yet alert.
2: Well, if you're still unsure, there's a prayer I can teach you. One for the patron saint of exam-taking. Golly, there's a patron saint for everything, Patrick quipped. Indeed. Ever since I was a little girl, I've been saying this prayer before any big exam I had to take. It never fails.
1: And with that, Miss Jenny turned to an empty space on the blackboard and wrote down the prayer from memory.
2: I'll leave this up for everyone during the exams,
1: she declared.
2: Let's go over it now. And as one, the class recited it. O great St. Joseph of Cupertino, who while on earth did obtain from God the grace to be asked at your examination, only the questions you knew, obtain for me a like favor in the examinations for which I am preparing. In return, I promise to make you known and cause you to be invoked. Through Christ our Lord, St. Joseph of Cupertino, pray for us.
1: The walk home in the north Florida heat was no less demanding, and by the time Ginevra crossed the threshold into her home, she was yearning for a cool bath. But the bath would have to wait. There was a birthday to celebrate, and she had promised Richter she would not keep him waiting. Dressing into her old smock and an apron, she took out the steaks marinated in the refrigerator and set it on a platter of aluminum foil. Next came the green beans and the fingerling potatoes, seasoned with generous amounts of olive oil and salt. As she laid the veggies upon a sheet, she glanced at the picture frame sitting on the kitchen windowsill. The man behind the glass was given a cheeky smile, posed at an off-angle, his head tilted downward. At one point, that face had swept Geneva off her feet. Made her promise that she would spend the rest of her life with him and do all she could to make him happy. She turned the frame around. Now was not the time for grieving. Half an hour later the table was set and aromatic steam filled the entire house. Ginevra seated herself and heart bursting with pride gave a whistle. A sleek black greyhound bounded into the room and jumped onto the opposite chair. His jaws found the steak before his eyes did, and he devoured the slab in two bites, leaving the ring of vegetables untouched. Happy birthday, Richter! Jennifer crooned. The dog licked his chops and goggled at her, panting expectantly.
2: My special man's turned four today,
1: she continued, reaching over the table to scratch under his chin.
2: You've always been there for me, so loyal, so undemanding. Not like, well,
1: She pushed her late husband Aaron from her mind with a grimace.
2: You are the only one for me, dog. Don't you ever leave me. You won't ever leave me, will you?
1: Richter cocked his head but held his same silly grin. I thought not, said Ginevra.
2: Now come on, I think there's some leftover cake in the fridge.
1: After the birthday meal, Ginevra let Richter out to do his business, then wandered upstairs for early bed. The long spring evening slowly darkened outside her window, a chorus of mole crickets serenading her. Finals week was a stressful time for her as well as her pupils. She figured she'd take all the time she could the weekend before to rest up and prepare. As she dozed off, Richter bounded into her room and sat by the edge of the mattress, giving her the puppy-dog eyes. Ginevra grimaced at him. Richter wasn't allowed up on the bed despite him begging every night, but the steak dinner still lingered in the air and Ginevra reminded herself it was a special night indeed.
2: Up, up,
1: she commanded, patting the empty space next to her. Richter jumped up, spraining the springs under his weight before circling and curling up. His paws were muddy from being outside, but Ginevra didn't care. It would wash out.
2: Love you, boy,
1: she whispered, patting his head.
2: Don't know what I'd do without you. Go mad, I suspect. You're the only one for me.
1: Her heart gave a twinge as she scooted closer to him. Inspiration overwhelmed her, and she turned her gaze to the crucifix on the opposite wall.
2: I thank thee, Lord, for deliverance from my darkest times. I thank thee, Lord, for my greatest companion, the one and only of your creations to love me unconditionally. I thank thee for making Richter more than just a pet, for making him my best friend, the one most worthy of my dedication. You above all know how much I have to give. Bestow upon us many more memories to many more years together. In Christ our Lord. Amen.
1: Richter emitted a contented rumble. Ginevra dozed off, feeling the most at peace since before those darkest times. The pressure of finals week fell upon her before she even arrived at the schoolhouse. Ginevra was an early bird out of necessity. Not just for school, but ensuring Richter got his outside time before she left for the day. She had scarcely cracked the back door open before he jostled past her and bolted into the backyard, disappearing into the sandhill forest beyond. Geneva was too tired and too rushed to call out to him. Richter always came back anyway. An hour later, cleaned up and dressed for the day, she hurried out the front door and immediately had to halt. Sitting at the foot of the front steps was Richter, his mouth stuffed with a dead marsh rabbit.
2: Richter, drop it,
1: Ginevra said, unable to look at his kill. Richter was completely still, staring at her with his amber eyes. She noticed his legs and belly were coated in swamp mud.
2: Shoot, I can't let you inside like this,
1: she groaned. He cocked his head, the rabbit twitching limply in his jaws. Ginevra sighed and shut the door behind her.
2: I'd wipe you down if I weren't running late,
1: she said, stepping past him.
2: You're just gonna have to stay outside until I get back.
1: She took off down the dirt road, the first traces of sunrise peering over the pines. Shuffling her papers in order, she glanced back at the house. He had turned to face her, but Richter was still sitting in the same spot, prey still in his jaws, his eyes gold pinpricks against the black shadow.
2: "'Weirdo,'
1: she muttered, refocusing on the road. As Ginevra got her papers in order, she thought about the way it looked at her with those honey-yellow eyes that somehow lacked its warm sweetness. She faltered a little. She thought Richter's eyes were more of a light brown. Maybe it was just a light, like how flowers or sundresses seemed more vibrant in daylight, and she hadn't noticed until now. Or maybe she didn't know her precious dog as well as she thought, The schoolhouse was just around the corner. Ginevra pushed the morning aside and strode through the doors, ready to deliver the Monday morning math final. The day was long and stuffy, as expected. But other than little Jacob being absent, it went without a hitch. Jacob would have to report the next day with a signed excuse and retake the exam the following week, cutting into his summer vacation time. Ginevra smiled amusedly to herself as she left the schoolhouse and headed down the dirt road again. School in summertime was probably a fate worse than death for a fourth grader, but whatever amusement she felt died when she saw what was on the front steps to her home. Richter had apparently left a dead rabbit there, its neck hung at an askew angle, and its blood-matted fur had attracted a veritable communion of blowflies.
2: Disgusting,
1: she grimaced, grabbing a broom from the patio and sweeping it off the path. It was heavier than she expected. It rolled off onto the grass, its head almost dragging alongside it, and the flies scattered in a glittering haze. Swatting at them with the broom, Ginevra hurried up the steps and slipped through the front door. Richter was inside the house, sitting at the end of the foyer staring at her with those unseemly yellow eyes. They looked at each other, deathly silent. A single stray fly flew against a windowpane, its buzz an aural aftertaste into nothingness. Wagging his tail, Richter trotted up to her, pressing his flank against her legs. Ginevra sighed with relief, bending down to pet him. The greeting was a welcome respite from the stress and unpleasantness of the earlier hours. As she looked around for his collar, she reflected on the fact that she explicitly left him outside that morning on account of his dirty paws. Perhaps I didn't close the back door properly, she thought, as she led him on his walk. As he strode ahead of her, she noticed his paws and the fur on his legs were immaculate, a better cleaning job than she could have done.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Later that night, after a long evening of prepping for the social studies final, Jennifer collapsed atop her bed. She had barely closed her eyes when the mattress pitched and shook. Richter had jumped up in bed without permission. Hey, Ginevra snapped, groggy from incipient sleep.
2: Uh, Did I say you could come
1: up? She shoved at his body. He simply stared at her, unmoved. But it only took a moment for Ginevra's resolve to loosen.
2: Ah, heck.
1: She muttered, rolling back over.
2: (sighs) You're all right, dog.
1: Richter stretched out and laid on his side. A paw pressed against Ginevra's back. She closed her eyes. His presence was comforting, familiar. It almost reminded her of Aaron, his warm form a rock for her to latch onto, that husky voice of his promising he'd love her for the rest of their lives. Life sure is inscrutable sometimes, she concluded, finally dozing off. Richter's paws slid further over her side. At the Tuesday Social Studies final, Miss Jenny realized she had two extra exams left over after passing them out. Jacob was still absent. Suddenly, she realized that the front rows seemed emptier than normal. Little Susan, soft-spoken yet smart as a whip, was missing as well.
2: Class, does anyone know where Susan is today?
1: They remained silent. Some allowed her a noncommittal shrug.
2: Maybe she couldn't take the pressure, Patrick offered. Social studies was the only class you got bees in. That's enough, Ms. Jenny chided. And how about Jacob? Anyone seen him since yesterday? Over the weekend?
1: More shrugs and stares. Ms. Jenny sighed and wrung her hands nervously.
2: Okay. Well, let's get started then.
1: As the pencil scratch scratched through the rest of the morning, the two empty seats seemed to emit a bad smell. Drawing her attention forcing her to look at them. The twin screw caps in the chair's headrest were like eyes, blank silver eyes judging her with venom from beyond the grave. Ms. Jenny forced herself to look out the window. Something was wrong. She just couldn't piece together what. That evening, Richter refused his dry kibble, instead gazing at Ginevra with those amber eyes of his. No, they're definitely that color, she realized, now that they were inside with low lighting.
2: I could have sworn they were brown before. Well, what do you want then?
1: Ginevra said out loud.
2: I don't have anything else for you.
1: Richter bared his teeth and growled. Ginevra's heart sank as she backed up. He had never done that before, never given her a reason to think he'd act out. But before she could scold him, he pointed his muzzle at the refrigerator. Hesitantly, she opened it to reveal the Cornish hen still in its packaging. She looked at her dog to find him panting and wagging his tail, wearing that silly grin of his.
2: I guess so, then. I was saving it for the weekend, but sure...
1: She took the bird out of the fridge and set it on the counter, but Richter surged forth and snatched it, bringing it crashing to the floor and ripping into it. Richter! She tried shouting, but her voice was lost among the dog's snarling and wet chewing mouth. Eventually, she threw her hands up and walked away.
2: Whatever. It's fine. Meat is meat. I'm sure you'll enjoy it more than me.
1: She sat at the table with a can of Spam. Richter jumped up across from her, laying half the mangled chicken across the tabletop. She couldn't help but smile.
2: Dig in, I guess,
1: she declared.
2: That's a good boy.
1: They both enjoyed their meals, happy and content with what they had. Richter jumped into bed with her again that night, and Ginevra didn't bother protesting. He nuzzled up close to her, his arm splaying over her shoulder again. She reached for it, for a moment sensing Aaron's muscular arm, but instead felt coarse fur and clawed pads. Still she could feel the dog heaving behind her, deep sleepy breaths sinking with hers. Relaxed, she finally closed her eyes and began to drift off. Thank you for letting Ginevra's eyes shot open with a gasp and she sprung up, looking around wildly for the intruder. But the bedroom was empty and Richter had barely moved from his spot. A heart drumming moment later, she had to conclude they were alone. But that failed to put her at ease. Instead, she looked down at the canine form in bed next to her. Richter was still motionless, but his eyes had locked onto hers again. A wave of delusion washed over Ginevra as she uttered her next words.
2: Was. Was that you?
1: The dog continued staring. Ginevra scowled and shook her head. The stress and worry of the week was getting to her. I love you, Genevra. Her hand drifted to her mouth. There was no other explanation that voice, that hoarse, deep, sensual whisper, had come from. Slowly the dog rose to his haunches, sitting up in the bed, on eye level with Ginevra. His expression was flat, but those eyes burned with sickly golden fire. My
3: pearl. My sweet dove. My doting mistress.
1: The voice seemed to emanate from the depths of the dog's throat, sifting between the teeth in his unmoving jaws. You let me in.
3: You brought me to being. I am forever indebted to you.
1: Ginevra's voice was strangled and
3: low. <sighs> How? Asked for me, and I delivered myself unto you. Richter licked his chops. By your invocation of the powers that be, you granted me the gift of voice. Now I grant to you the gift of my unconditional commitments.
2: I don't...
1: Ginevra scrambled out of the bed, trembling at the knees.
2: I don't understand. I did this. I allowed you to talk.
3: There is power in Prayer, Richter whispered, lowering his neck. And love has a way of unlocking ones inhibitions.
2: My prayer did this.
1: Ginevra shook her head.
2: No, no, God would never. This is a dream. It has to be...
1: Richter emitted a low sigh.
3: (sighs) Very well. As you
1: wish. The room went dark and Ginevra keeled over, her skull thumping hard against the carpeted floor. When she awoke, she was lying in bed. The covers pulled up to her chin, unruffled and undisturbed as if she had had the most peaceful sleep of her life. What a
2: strange dream,
1: she grunted, rolling over, nuzzling Aaron's arm around her. His fingertips curled, brushing the skin below her shoulder. Her hand drifted up to his, fingers interlocking and closing around each other, and she brought his hand up to her lips, kissing it softly. The arm around her was black-haired and muscular, but very much human. Her eyes sprung open. She shrieked and sprung out of bed again, throwing the cover off her, revealing nobody but Richter lying next to her. Just Richter, his canine features intact, who peered up at her with a blank expression. Goosebumps erupted on Ginevra's skin, the same spot where that nightmare hand had stroked. She wiped her mouth, trying to expel the taste on her lips, a taste that was earthen, yet somehow bodily and sweet. She fled to her bathroom, snapping the door shut and turning on the tub's faucet. The noisy fluid rush filled her head with mundane static, all but washing the fear away.
2: What are these visions?
1: She hissed, her voice lost amid the gushing water. For the first time that week, she was keen to get out of the house and hone her mind on the monotony of final exams. Her troubles only escalated at the schoolhouse. "'Miss Sinclair,' Principal Ketter said, standing in the doorway to her classroom. "'A moment, please.' He beckoned her to follow him to his office. "'Miss Sinclair!' he said once she sat across from him. Are you aware that two of your students have been missing the last two days?
2: Yes, I've marked them down as absent, and they'll have to make up their exams next week,
1: she replied. No, I mean they're reported missing, Ketter said, narrowing his eyes. Susan Cole's parents said she left for school yesterday morning, and that was the last they'd seen of her. Same deal with Jacob Barnes.
2: "'I I had no idea,'
1: said Ginevra, her eyes wide.
2: "'What are we going to do?'
1: "'For now, we're going to keep quiet,' said Ketter, leaning back in his chair. "'The authorities are doing all they can, and the rest of the school still has work to do. Best not to burden your pupils with bad news in the middle of this week.'
2: "'I understand,' she
1: answered, standing up.
2: "'I hope they find those kids safe and sound. I'll pray for them. Please, keep me updated.'
1: Will do. Ginevra strode down the empty reverberating hallway and entered her classroom briskly.
2: Sorry I'm late, class,
1: she announced, readying the science finals on her desk.
2: I'll give you all extra time to make up for it.
1: The class was quiet as they stared back at her. Miss Jenny made a small noise through her nose.
2: No comment from you, Patrick?
1: She looked up and her heart sank. There were three empty chairs in the room now. Every bone and joint ached in Ginevra's body as she finally made it back to her place that afternoon. Predictably, Richter was waiting for her in the foyer.
3: Welcome home,
1: the ethereal voice said. Ginevra halted. Something sharp and acidic boiled in her chest.
2: So, so it wasn't a dream.
3: Passion knows no time of day, my love. But I ought to have told you at a more wakeful hour. The dog's ears perked. Now there is no more doubt in your heart. Is there? She shook her head.
2: No. No, there isn't.
1: Richter walked up to her and pressed his flank against her legs. Good.
3: Now. I
1: yearned
3: for your touch.
1: As if in a trance, Ginevra leaned forward and scratched the base of his tail. Come, let us break bread. A half hour later, a pork dinner for two sat steaming at the dinner table. Richter sitting across from her devoured the meat in two bites, again leaving the vegetables untouched. Ginevra couldn't help but smile as she took a small bite herself. For a moment it was Richter's birthday again, and he was the same goofy, lovable dog she had known for those four years.
2: I don't understand,
1: Ginevra finally said, breaking the silence.
2: My prayer made you able to talk? The one I said that night?
1: The credit is yours, said Richter. But... She toiled over her next words.
2: I always learned that prayer was meant to show gratitude and to give yourself strength. It was never to make things happen. I love you, Richter, as my best friend. But I didn't ask for this. There is
1: power you are the wearer, said the dog cocking his head.
3: Power and grace given to the most worthy of mankind. I am your miracle. Your divine apparition.
2: The most worthy of mankind,
1: Ginevra repeated. Me? Richter gave a nod. God rewards. And I am your reward. Something warm, inexplicable, sense stealing rose up in Ginevra's stomach. It was unbridled, fluttering ecstasy, elation of the heart and soul.
2: I've been through a lot in my life,
1: she replied in a small voice.
2: Heartbreak, misery. But you've always been there. You, you are my blessing, Richter. I love you.
1: Richter's tail thumped like a drumbeat against the back of his chair. Ginevra stood up, overcome with mirth.
2: There's still some leftover cake in the fridge, if you're craving sweets.
1: (laughs) He barked, the chair practically shaken from his manic wagon. That night, the two cuddled in bed again. Ginevra had finally relented and turned to face Richter for the first time.
2: It always seemed like science was hit and miss for my students,
1: she was saying.
2: Once you get into cellular biology and all that jazz, all those organelles, chromosomes, I think it's just too much for kids that age. When I graded their papers today, it was the widest grade distribution so far. I wonder how Susan would have done.
1: Darkness settled inside her, and some of that infectious passion ebbed away.
2: Poor Susan Cole. I hope she's okay wherever she is. Jacob and Patrick, too. They're just kids, for God's sake. If they're lost and alone somewhere, they won't last long. But I hate to think that someone took them, or someone did something with them. Oh, God.
1: Her throat constricted with impending tears. She took several shuddering breaths.
2: I, too, love those children, as if they were my own.
1: The dog licked her face. Cast your woes aside, woman. You take on enough troubles already. She sighed.
2: I suppose so.
1: She scratched behind the dog's ears. He continued licking her cheeks, her throat. She closed her eyes, letting that electricity jolt through her. Hands gently squeezed her shoulders. She dared not open her eyes again, out of fear that what she might see would sully the illusion which shattered the welling feelings inside her. No, she said in a muffled tone.
2: This is wrong.
1: Despite seeing nothing but darkness, she imagined the tiny figure nailed to the cross on the opposite wall, watching her with God's eyes.
2: He's watching us. I can't.
3: You and I
1: are alone. There was a bizarre scratching, rattling sound. You and I, on top of the world. The solid sounding thunk of an object fallen to the floor. Ginevra suddenly felt shameless, uninhibited. Those holy eyes were now blind. She relaxed. The hands gripped tighter, strong, dexterous, very much human. The form next to her shifted and she could sense it over her now, casting a psychic shadow across her body. And still that tongue licked, impossibly long, muscular, boiling like the tip of a molten spear. It drifted, exploring places unattended, amid years of loveless void. Ginevra was late the next morning, She burst through the schoolhouse's front doors, face greasy with sweat, dress rumpled and wrinkled. Her death grip on the stacks of English finals had left impressions in the papers. She almost ran into Principal Ketter, who again was stationed in the doorway to her room. Office, now! His expression was even more grave than the day before. Her insides seemed to freeze up as she reluctantly followed him back to his office. He closed the door, but didn't bother sitting down. Patrick Hudson has been reported missing too, he said, not looking at her. But there's a development with him. His parents say one moment he was walking down the road, they looked away, and then he was just gone. He had just passed by a house. He finally met her face. Your house.
2: What are you implying?
1: I'm not implying anything, he replied, holding his hands up. But don't be surprised if they start viewing you as a suspect.
2: They talked to you, didn't they? Said Ginevra,
1: her eyes narrowing. I told them I couldn't imagine you doing anything so horrible, he clarified. Much less anything at all. I don't have any reason to think you had something to do with this, but it's in their hands now. I didn't do anything, she asserted, her throat locking up again. I know you didn't, but this has to play out. Justice must be dispensed for the sake of those little ones. Shaking her head, she excused herself from Ketter's office and hurried over to her room.
2: Sorry again, class,
1: she said breathlessly, nearly collapsing into her desk. Miss Jenny, Katie said, raising her hand.
2: Where's Susan and Jacob and Patrick,
1: another asked.
2: "'They're just
1: absent,' said Ms. Jenny, the back of her neck prickling.
2: "'I'm sure you'll see them again by next week. "'Let's stay focused on today's exam right now.'"
1: But as the morning progressed, Miss Jenny could tell schoolwork was the last thing on their minds. Eyes kept flitting towards the empty desks, and she had to tell off the class a handful of times. She could only be thankful they hadn't yet noticed the fourth vacancy, the desk that had once belonged to little Jessica. Even as they left for the day, turning in their papers for her to grade, she could not concentrate. Not only was the grade distribution chaotic for this exam too, but her mind swam with the memories of the night before. The lascivious acts she had partaken in, unholy bonds that would have made God himself blush, even if those bonds had been with an actual man. Her sins were so massive, so encroaching and strangling, she couldn't possibly articulate them. Perhaps it was for the better keeping them bottled up inside. The shame of admitting to such horridness might have killed her on the spot. It was early evening when Ginevra finally left the schoolhouse, yet she had only graded three-quarters of the exams. The sunset glared upon her as she shambled down the dirt road back home. Richter was sitting patiently in the foyer, watching her with pleasant bemusement. She felt boxed in, behind her, the looming obscure tragedy that threatened to sweep her up in its incriminating tide, before her, the source of her unchristly transgressions. Neither direction seemed particularly commendable, but despair tugged at her soul. She slammed the door shut.
2: Just take me Richter.
1: Geneva glimpsed the dog standing on his hind legs and thrusting his paws for her shoulders. But she closed her eyes, and hairy human-like arms encompassed her. And the body that pressed against hers bore the musculature of a man. Yet the slithering organ that stroked and constricted her was still an inhumanly long tongue. And right there in the foyer, he took her. When Geneva came around, everything was dark. The grandfather clock in the neighboring living room read well past midnight. She slowly rose to a stand, still weak at the knees. Despite the gloom, she could make out a dark red stain pulled underneath her. It formed a trail through the house, heading for the back door. She followed it. The droplets led outside. The full moon made it easy to determine them from the ghostly pale grass. The trail stopped at the metal shed covering the entrance to the root cellar. Ginevra paused. She hadn't been down there since Aaron was around. He had gone through a gardening kick, and he had yielded a meager crop of onions and potatoes which he had stored in the cellar, promising her one day when he had enough to make a delicious root vegetable medley for her. She never got to have that dish. Still, the blood called to her, and she resumed following. She wrenched open the trap door and climbed down the ladder, six feet underground. Everything smelled of dirt and decay in plant matter. Her feet touched the ground. She turned around and absorbed the sight before her. Years of neglect had allowed tree roots to snake through the earthen walls, crisscrossing and tangling through the wooden support beams like the veins of some subterranean giant. But the path ahead was clear, illuminated by hellish red light, and at its end was the brunt of the procession. She recognized Patrick and Jacob at her right, their dead bodies stuck in standing positions through pikes, garbed in loose-fitting suits. At her left was Susan and Jessica, mounted in the same fashion, stuffed into flowing white dresses. Presiding over them was the corpse of Principal Keter, hung from the ceiling by a tree-root noose, clad in a black cassock. The blood trail stopped with him. The groom was sitting on his haunches, regarding Ginevra with his glowing yellow eyes.
3: Here comes the bride.
1: He sang,
3: Here comes the bride.
1: Tears finally broke as Ginevra proceeded down the aisle. She approached the children and saw they had all died the same way. The flesh around their necks was shredded, as if torn up by a dog. Jessica, the flower girl, held a cluster of nightshade in her lifeless grasp. Jacob delicately clutched an obsidian ring in his. Susan and Patrick, the maid of honor and best man, wore contorted grins on their faces. Ginevra wondered if they had died smiling. Am
3: my bride
1: to be? Richter cooed as Ginevra drew level with them.
3: I knew you would find your way here.
1: He addressed the dead people.
3: Dearly deceased, we are gathered here tonight to join these two sinners in unholy matrimony.
2: I never wanted this,
1: Geneva whispered. Not at all.
3: By the time you summoned me. It was too late,
1: Richter admonished. I
3: found the perfect vessel. You gave yourself to me days ago. Your story ended before you even knew it
2: began. Perfect vessel?
1: Ginevra echoed.
2: You mean...
3: Your beloved Richter has not been with us for some time, the thing mocked. Ever since that night you uttered your idolatrous creed, you tilled the ground most fertile. You let
1: me in. Ginevra's vision spun. She struggled to stay upright. Her voice was small and diminished.
2: (laughs) Lucifer.
3: One name among many. He confirmed. But one of my more favored. The Lightbringer. I brought light. To your life, I set you ablaze.
1: The dog stood on its hind legs again, and this time Ginevra forced herself to watch. Its front legs thickened. Its paws became worm-like fingers. Its chest and shoulders crunched with fresh, burgeoning muscle. Its muzzle flattened. It became a man's face, tainted with animal features, but handsome and full
3: nonetheless. You and I will properly consummate and christen these lands with blood. This I vow. Principal Kedder's
1: suspended corpse gave a twitch. His lips parted, and a handful of wiggling mealworms dropped from his mouth onto the ground. The voice that emanated from him was grungy and low. Do you take this woman to be your underworldly wedded wife? I do, Lucifer promised, brushing Ginevra's cheek. Do you take this man to be your underworldly wedded husband? Ginevra shuddered at Lucifer's touch. Her eyes flitted around. The corpses had all moved to look at her. Each one bore a smile. Her pulse jumped in her neck. The whole week had been one maddening descent, culminating in the precipice of hell's maw long and stirred inside her shameful yet insistent why should she refuse
2: I do not
1: she stated no the entity before her almost sounded amused you would turn down the world you would turn down oh the delicious satisfaction Action damnation has to offer for the sake of your irredeemably condemned mortal soul. I would, said Ginevra, looking away.
2: If I'm to do one last good thing on this earth, it'll be telling you no. That's all I have left. All all I
3: can do.
1: Lucifer cocked his head. You know
3: you loved it when I fucked you like that.
1: Ginevra's fist clenched. No more. She dipped her head. No more. Lucifer spread his hands apart and backed away.
3: Very well. I am bound to you.
1: In a puff of black smoke, he vanished. Those golden eyes lingered for a split second longer, and suddenly Principal Ketter's corpse exploded. It showered the root cellar with blood, caking the dead corpses in Ginevra's living body in salty, acrid red. The sour iron taste stung in her nose and mouth, and she screamed, rushing for the ladder, stumbling and bouncing off the walls. Finally, wrapping her hands around the rungs. Her palms and feet were slippery with blood, but she pulled herself up, gasping and crying and choking. The trapdoor flew open before she could touch it. Flashlight beams pierced her eyes and she screamed again, shielding her face. Here! A voice shouted. She's covered in it! Iron like hands reached down and hauled Ginevra out of the cellar and immediately forced her face down into the grass. seen Sinclair, you're under arrest for the murders of Jacob Barnes, Susan Cole."
3: -"It wasn't me!"
1: She shrieked as her wrists were bound behind her.
2: -"It was the dog, Richter! The dog did it!"
1: -"Patrick Hudson, Jessica Tremblay."
2: -"He's the devil! Please! He's the devil in disguise!"
1: And Dean Ketter, are you of sound mind to understand these charges? You have to listen to me.
2: He's down there now. Go and see! Go and see!
1: That was The Devil's in the Details by Nick Carlson. A good reminder not to let your dog sleep on the bed. And for those of you who still do, don't come crying to me when the inevitable happens. Just saying. Also, a good reminder that Hell's Gulf will officially be available for sale August 6th. Visit the link in the show notes to go to Temple Dark Book's website and enter the code CHILLIN20. No Space, the number 20, to get a discount on the book Hell's Gulf. A little about the author. A video editor by trade, Nick Carlson also harbors a strong passion for horror writing. Alongside a self-published novel, anthology credits, and Chilling Tales for Dark Knights contributions, Nick's first traditionally published novel, Hell's Gulf, releases August 6, 2022. Nick's love of the genre coincides with his fascination with the natural world and its more unsavory denizens. He'll willingly free-handle spiders and snakes and give you a biology lesson to boot, and whenever he finds himself on the beach, he'll reel in stingrays and man-sized sharks from the sea. But it's the safe and speedy release that he cherishes the most. Nick is also an avid hiker, classical composer, and organist. You can check out Nick Carlson at nickcarlsonpress.com or follow him on Facebook at Nick Carlson Press and on Twitter at Carlson Press. And while you're at it, please remember to stop by our Apple podcast page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and subscribe. The charts are based on subscriptions, not listens, by the way. So, feel free to accidentally subscribe as many times as you want. I won't tell anyone, I promise. And if you feel like spreading the word and helping old Drew Blood out and convincing a friend or two to subscribe to my podcast, that would help me out greatly, and I'd really appreciate it. To hear a premium, ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other podcast episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at Chillin'TalesForDarkNights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 a month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program and all our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes Twitter. Sometimes. And remember, we're accepting submissions. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on this show, send it to DrewBloodHorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, friend. At least till next week. So grab a drink for the road. But if you run into Chester out there, Don't go praying over them or anything. St. Joseph makes a fine baby aspirin, but beyond that, he's into some weird shit. So may the wind be at your back, and may the road rise up to meet you. And remember, you could always do worse than to go fuck yourself. Good night, y'all.